And uh, thank you for welcoming me and my family to Lubbock. Thank you for loving on some Yankees. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we've been here almost three years, and it's just been a blessing. So you guys are our family away from family, and uh, we couldn't do this without you, so thank you. <clears throat> also, thank you for your support in the Mexico City mission trip. I praise God we're fully funded, and I just thank you for your generosity. I'm blown away at how giving you guys are, so thank you for that. <clears throat> One thing, um, I, I just got back from a conference recently, and they gave us this illustration, so I'm stealing this illustration. And it fits well with our, our talk today. Um, this uh, jar of marbles represents a child's life from birth through 18 years of age. And uh, each marble represents one week. One week right there. Um, and now there are 936 marbles in this jar. 936 marbles. And so that would be 936 weeks that we have as parents from birth to 18 that, that window of opportunity that we as parents, as a church body, get to invest into our kids' lives, to get to raise them up in Christ. And so um, here it is. It's, it doesn't, you know, it looks like a lot, but it goes by fast. And I'll just give some examples of that. Anybody here have a, a baby under one years old? Just raise your hand. Baby under one years old. Okay. Millie, do you mind sharing how many weeks? If you could do the math quick, how many weeks is your child? <laughs> Sorry, put you on the spot there. Just like he's got the phone up. <laughs> I would have to do the same. 44 weeks. Okay, 44 weeks. I'd have to do the same with my phone. So let's just give an example here. Um, okay. So, not quite 44, but. Okay. So, one more. Okay. Miller's. Here's the time we have left in your child's life to commit uh, to them, uh, to see them raised up in the Lord, in the church, and in Christ, okay? And so, now my daughter, she is uh, four years and 14 weeks old, Tessa, my oldest, and that's 222 weeks, okay? And so I have to be digging out multiple handfuls here, right, and dumping those out. Um, And now... Let me give you this example. Who's got a senior here, a graduating senior? Okay. Um, now, this is, this is kind of a, a shocking thing, but here's the time. Forget the jar, right? Here's the time you have left to really invest um, into your child, right, before they're off kind of on their own. Now, of course, we have opportunities to invest and love our kids even after, you know, they go off to college themselves. But this is the primary window that God's given us is from birth 18, that we have to do that. And so I, I just thought it was a neat illustration. And here's what, I, what I'm hearing from all the, all the parents that have ever raised kids. And even just yesterday, I was at the doctor's office with my daughter, and the guy was talking to me, and he said, man, it goes by fast. It goes by so fast. And I'm learning that myself. My daughter, all the stars are already four. But um, I'll put this away now. We'll come back to that, to that in a second. But it does go by fast, and we are losing our marbles. <laughs> we are. Can you point to someone and say, we're losing our marbles? <laughs> Let's pray. Yeah, especially this guy. <laughs> Let's pray, and then ask God to lead our time. God, just grateful for this chance, and just pray that you would speak, Lord, and pray that you would help us to see your, your word Um, help us to understand it, and then help us to apply it 
with diligence to our lives and especially into our homes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could open your Bibles, Deuteronomy 6. I like that name, Deuteronomy. Um, it's a cool name. I asked Stephanie if we could name our, our boy, Josiah. Can we name him Deuteronomy? And I, I went further and said, how about Deuteronomy Nebuchadnezzar Shubielka? <laughs> it just has a ring to it, you know? I just, she didn't go for it. But I said, Stephanie, we could call him Dude. Dude, come and eat. Dude, time to brush your teeth. It would be great. I'd love that. But anyway, Deuteronomy, as you're going to Deuteronomy 6, the word Deuteronomy means second law. Second law. And it fits the book well. Because in this book, for the second time, Moses lays out the commands of God and teaches them to the Israelites. And it's at a very important time in the history of the Israelites. You see, Moses is just about to end his journey on earth. He's led the people out of slavery, out of Egypt. He's spoken with God on Mount Sinai and received the commands. He's wandered the desert for 40 years with God's chosen people, a stubborn people, right? And the 40 years of wandering are just about over. The generation of God's people that came out of Egypt are now passing away, and they're just, they're all just about gone. Uh, and it was because of their sin. Uh, they were not allowed to go into the promised land. And neither was Moses. We know that from the text. But Moses has led the people right up, basically right up to the promised land, right on the other side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab. And it's at this time that Moses is about to hand over leadership to Joshua. And, you, and, and then at the end of Deuteronomy, you'll see that Moses passes away. He goes home to be with, with the Lord. But before Moses goes home to be with the Lord, he addresses Israel one last time, at least with what we see recorded. So in a sense, this is Moses' farewell address. It's his last words, if you will. And we know the significance of someone's last words, don't we? They're powerful. You want to listen in to someone's last words. So, just a question I have for you. So when Moses is speaking, he's got Israel gathered. Who is present? Who is present in this? It's the new generation of Israelites. The others have passed on, and it's the new generation. So Moses is raising up the next generation, generation of Israelites. He's handing it off to Joshua to lead them into the promised land and, um, so that they will know how to live in the new land. <clears throat> so here's his four verses from his farewell address. And if you're taking notes uh, in the bulletin, I have some outline notes there you can look at if you'd like. Um, we're not going to get to that last point, but we're going to go through the first two. First one is love God mightily. It's the vertical relationship. Can you point to some and say vertical relationship? We're going to start in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. We're going to read 4 through 6. It says this, uh, and I'm reading from the ESV. It's pretty, it's pretty close. It's a, pretty close to NAS. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Um, the f- verse 4, it, it has the very first word is hear. And 
Um, in the Jewish tradition, this is known as the, the Shema or the Shema. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. S-H-E-M-A. <laughs> um, and it's one of the most important scriptures in all of Jewish tradition. Shema, what is called that? Shema means to hear. Everyone say hear. It comes from the first word in that passage. And this kind of hear is not just sound waves, right? It's actually hearing and doing. It's action. It's not like when our sweet wives try to talk to us as men when we're watching a football game, right? <laughs> it's not that kind of here. Because we don't do a lot of action with that or we don't do a lot of doing with that in that moment. But it's like when I take my sweet daughter, Lainey, she's two, I grab her cheeks like this and I say, Lainey, you need to go brush your teeth. Okay. And she goes. So it's a here and a do. Get it? Good. <laughs> Um, so we could say here, O Melanie Park Church, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. According to the research I did, there's different ways that you could arrange kind of that wording in that passage. But here's the main message of it, however you want to arrange that. It's that our God is totally unique. Our God is one. Our God alone is God. And this truth about God is significant about Israel's identity as a nation. It distinguishes them from all the other nations because we know about all the other nations. Where were they running after? All the false gods and, and pagan gods, multitudes of them, right? So all the nations were running after all these other gods. But God's people, the Israelites, were to worship the one true God, Yahweh alone is God. And after establishing God's unique oneness and that he alone is God, Moses tells the people, and this is a familiar passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And without going into detail about the heart, soul, and mind, it's easy to see here that we're supposed to love God with our entire being, with everything within us, with every aspect and element of our lives. And love is kind of an abstract concept sometimes for me. It's hard to really grasp it, understand it. So I want to try to make it a little more concrete, a little more tangible. One way to love God, is what we see here, is to obey his commands. To hear and do. Can you point to some and say, hear and do? To do what he says. I love this passage, John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, especially here in this text, that was the meaning of it, to hear and do, is to hear the commands and then do them. And that's saying, I love you, God. That's what it's saying. I love you, God. To love God is to obey God. And I don't think it's out of the ugly, man, I'm commanded to, so I have to kind of heart. Man, I have to do that, right? But I believe uh, it's an obedience that should flow out of knowing God's perfect love for us. It's a response to his love. Another verse, my students know this one well. Maybe you can remember it. Let's see if you guys, you guys ready? You want to try it? Okay, we learned this at a fire tree once. First John 4:19. We love. Yeah, awesome. We love because he first loved us. Man, I love that verse. And that's the, that's the response there. Because God moved first, because God loved first. That's the response of this obeying and loving God. It's not I obey, it's not I have to obey, it's I get to obey. There's a big difference here, do you see it? One is I have to, 
The other is like, I get to because of how good my God has been to me. Man, that, that's a huge difference. So there is some heart in that and loving God. So the next time you make a decision that keeps God in his rightful place as God in your life, you're saying, God, I love you. That's what you're saying. Because you're keeping the first commandment of the ten, right? You keep God first in his rightful place. And to keep going with the Ten Commandments, just to give you, just put, make this concrete. The next time you choose, students, to honor your mother and father, right, by obeying their wishes, and the first time, you're saying, God, I love you. I love you, God. Even though I want to do this, I want to keep playing this video against or whatever it might be, right? You're saying, God, I love you. The next time, uh, and this, this goes for the whole audience, because I know uh, men and women can struggle with this, but next time, but men especially, the next time men and women, we struggle with the area of, of lust, and we see something that we're attracted to, um, so the next time we bounce our eyes and bounce our thoughts uh, on the things of God, it's saying, God, I love you. I love you. And the next time we choose to be content with what you have and choose not to covet, it's worship. It's loving on our God. It's, I'm learning to be content now with the car drive. I'm driving a 2003 Mazda Five protege hatchback. I used to tease Stephanie about this car. She bought this car um, before we were married, and I used to jokingly tease her that it's kind of like a station wagon. <laughs> just teasing her. You know, guys, the station wagons just don't mix, right? And so just used to t- tease her about that. And uh, now I guess who's driving the car, right? <laughs> but here it is. It's choosing to be content in those moments. Especially when you really want, when I really want, a 2013 Ford F-150 double cab with best-in-class towing and best-in-class payload. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's what I want, right? Man, that'd be sweet. But choosing to be content in the car I have, and it's loving the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To love God is to obey God. And if there's any command in all the scripture to keep, this is it, right? This is it because Jesus, uh, in, in the New Testament, calls it the first and greatest commandment. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus spoke of it in the New Testament. If there's any, this is it. So let's model it, right? Let's model it to our families. Let's model it to our community in the workplace. Let's do that well. Let's push each other in that. Um, Moses then says, These words I command you shall be on your heart. In the Old Testament, the heart was not the center of our emotions, but it was more the center of our intellect and our thinking, actually. And to be upon a heart is to be constant, constantly on your mind or constantly in your reflection, to be upon your heart. These words shall be constantly, these commands shall be constantly in your mind. To be in a heart is to meditate on his word, and not just during our devotion time, but to meditate it on, on it throughout the day. Now, I can be honest with you, I'm not there. I often have my devotion time, and I read, read the scriptures, and then I close it up, put it away, and I forget what I just read. Right? But I want to get to that place. 
I want to. That's my heart. Let's strive for that. Let's be meditating God's word. Loving God mightily then sets us up to teach his commands diligently. It's the second point in the bulletin. Because it's out of that vertical relationship with God um, that we should be teaching his commands. This first starts here. Our personal relationship with God should overflow into our homes. So, teach his commands diligently. As I read verse 7, I want you to take note of who we are to teach these commands to. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your neighbors. No. You shall teach, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You shall teach them diligently to your small group. Right? No, no, not there either. You shall teach them diligently to your friends who don't know Christ. Now, these are good things. We should do that. But first, where does it go? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It first starts at home. Point some say it first starts at home. Teaching God's commands to our children. Um, when Stephanie and I were in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and this is before we had kids, we were blessed to attend a parenting conference. And we're so thankful that we did. <clears throat> There's a, a gentleman, a pastor who came up from Illinois. He came up and taught this parenting conference for us. It was a two-day kind of seminar. And um, he went into his story about how he was pastoring his church. He was leading a church. He was um, teaching Bible. He was leading small groups. He was having meetings and doing all this discipleship. But he said God just convicted him because he wasn't doing any of that for his own family. And so I'm not, you know, Stephanie and I are newly married. We're sitting in this church hearing this. That really made an impact on me. But to be honest with you, that's sometimes my tendency. I put so much time and attention into youth ministry that I'm planning, I'm discipling, I'm teaching, I'm leading. But oftentimes I just, sometimes that's my tendency is to put all my time and attention and energy there. And it's hard to do that at home. But I've learned a lot over the few years, past years, and uh, I have much more to learn. So I come to this passage as a student, but also Stephanie and I are applying this passage, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Verse 7, if you could look at that one more time with me. All right, so verse 7, it says, You shall teach them passively to your children. (laughs) You're doing it again, Bruce. You shall teach them lackadaisically. To your children. I'm emphasizing some, of course. You shall teach them half-heartedly to your children. No, that word diligently. You shall teach them diligently. And this word really just hit me, really stuck out to me. And I looked it up. What does it really mean? I went to the dictionary. And to be diligent means to be constant in effort to accomplish something. To be constant in effort to accomplish something. Here's the idea. Think of an engraver who takes a hammer and a chisel and then etches a message into a solid uh, granite rock. Just etches with a hammer and chisel. That's the idea. It's hard work that needs to be done. And it needs to be done with great care and patience. It's labor that's overwhelming at times. But when it's done, 
The message is there to stay. And we're commanded to do that, to teach, to diligently teach our children God's word. And here's, here's one thing I'm learning. Diligently just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen by chance. Maybe we'll talk about God today, or, or maybe we'll have a family devotion today. It's intentional. It's planned. It's thought out. I don't know if you struggle with being intentional about stuff, but I sure do. I do. I didn't struggle with that. In my natural self, I don't think I have a diligent bone in my body. (laughs) In my natural self. I'm not very intentional about some of the things I need to be intentional about. And my father, I love him, but he was the same way. He wasn't very intentional about teaching us God's word. But he expected the church to teach us God's word. And yes, the church is called to teach God's word and make disciples. That is so true. We see that. I see that especially in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Okay? And many other passages. But I believe it's primarily the responsibility of the parents, according to Deuteronomy 6. And at Mallory Park, we're going to do our best to teach God's word to your kids. But I want to encourage the parents, encourage myself in this. Parents, don't miss out on that blessing to teach God's word to your kids, yourself. Be diligent. This won't happen unless we're intentional, right? Take some time and pray and ask God, how, God, how can I be more diligent to impress upon my children your word? Where can I take advantage of those opportunities? The rest of verse 7 says, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, the question I had for this part of the section of, of text was, so when shouldn't we talk of them, right? When shouldn't we talk of them? It seems clear that God's word should be taught diligently to our children and also discussed all throughout the day. That's a challenge because we're not there. <laughs> so as we sit down in our, in our house, I don't know, I think maybe a good time would be around the dinner table. And now, I was raised in a broken home, and my dad did the best he could to raise us. But we had meal times. Our meal times were with um, Homer Simpson and Mark Simpson and Alan Peggy Bundy, if you know that show. Um, that, was, that was my meal times. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And that was our meal time in front of the TV. There wasn't much engagement there. But I can tell you this uh, I had a family that took me in to live with them, but their last name was the Rasmussen. Pulling the towel. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, this is cool. This family took me in at 18. <laughs> But um, so cool. 
was um, that when I saw that, when I saw the authenticity of that, and just how engaged we were with family, with, I call them the adopted family, like the AG. They love Jesus. Mm. Man, that was powerful in my life. I didn't have that growing up, and to see that was something I was wide, wide open my family, and I get to have that now. Praise God. Uh, it says that we should talk with our children as we walk by the way. Uh, maybe you go for family walks. I don't know how that would apply. Maybe it's going for drives, or driving your kids to school. It just seems like it needs to be a part of every moment. Just God's word. As we lie down, maybe we're praying scripture together. I know my family and I, we will sing a song uh, that is all just scripture. We've learned some of these from childhood, just songs that are just scripture. And so now our kids are singing that and are learning that. It's kind of a neat way. Uh, And as we rise, maybe we're doing morning devotions. And maybe it's something that we discuss at the table then. Just some ideas. All right. Now imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment a set of parents who early on understood the importance importance of this passage and then diligently applied it to their lives and to their children's lives. Wow. From early on, they would just apply this and were diligent about it. Wow. Those kiddos would hopefully grow up in a home where every day they saw Jesus modeled And every day they got to hear God's word taught and discussed. They would have their conflicts, as we all do, right? And failures. But they've learned how to handle those biblically. And hopefully, if their heart is right, man, those will grow up to be some godly kids and godly adults. All right, now imagine with me for a moment. A set of parents who early on understood the importance of this passage just like before and diligently applied it to their lives, to their families' lives, but also lived a life together with others who loved Jesus and were like-minded and who were all a part of a solid Bible church. Watch out, right? (laughs) Watch out, world. Here come some world changers. Mountain Park Church Many of you are doing this. It's evident. I see it in your kids' lives. It's awesome. Thanks for being an example to me of how to do this. I'm telling you, I'm taking notes. I am. I'm taking notes. I hear dads. I can name them. I won't embarrass them there. But I, can hear, I know dads are taking their sons on retreats, father-son retreats, so that they can start talking about purity things and start engaging in that process. want to raise them up to be like Jesus. That is awesome. Man, I want to be that kind of dad. Here's the challenge. If you're here today and you haven't taken that responsibility and the blessing of teaching your kiddos about our amazing God, get on it. It goes by fast. You're losing your marbles, right? If you're here and you're applying this passage, the challenge is this. How could you be more diligent, right? Because I think we could all be challenged with being more intentional about that. 
because it does go by fast and we are losing our marbles. I know I can be more intentional in this. Thank you for your time. We're going we're gonna, to um, hear from um, two groups of people. Uh, we're going to hear from the Sapisas, Todd and Graham, and then we're going to hear from um, the Kennedys. That's Doug and Kimberly. And they're going to share how they're applying this scripture in their homes. And so I remember being at the parenting conference, hearing how this man talked about family worship nights. And he talked about how they would have a time of music, and I think they were musical. But my wife and I were not, so we played a CD. And we worship and dance. It's every Tuesday night we have family worship. We worship and dance to God. It's just fun. We got to know little girls, so they get, sometimes get their tutus on, and we're dancing in the living room. It's a fun occasion. And so we're worshiping God. We're also hearing God's word through music. We have the CD that is... Um, it's a really neat city. It's God's word to music. And so they're memorizing scripture too. And, um, and after that, we sit down and pray on the couch. We just pray as a family. We ask God to teach us his word. We get in the word. We have some kind of passage picked out that either something, I a lot of times teach my kids the same thing I teach you guys. It is. I teach them a lot of the same, same things I teach them. And sometimes Stephanie will have a passage that she's reading and thinking on. And um, after that, then we read the passage, talk about it, and then we'll go out and do some kind of activity. We um, just just to give an example, we taught uh, our kiddos about how Jesus calmed the storm, and uh, Stephanie and I were blessed one day with a sailboat from the youth room, and it showed up in our front yard. It was so awesome. This sailboat just showed up as a little, little fun little prank, and but it was an encouraging prank, so it's all good, right? <laughs> they had all kinds of encouraging notes. High school girls, thank you very much, and uh, it was so fun, but. On that boat, we took it out, we drug it out, and we enacted the Jesus Calm and Storm. So we had little Tessa sleeping up in the front. She played Jesus. And little Laney was the, the disciple that woke Jesus up. And then that was the wind. Rah! It was fun. And we, we had a great time with him. We all switched roles. But just, just making it fun. And just, just an example to you of some of the things we're doing. We have a lot to learn. And my wife is going to share that story. But she, we have some sick kiddos, so I'm missing her today. But um, I would like, if you guys could, welcome up uh, Todd and Graham. Thank you, Todd and Graham. I want to be like him. He's such a great guy. Bruce, thanks for bringing the word and speaking so clearly. Uh, my good friend Andy Wilson used to tell me, he had kids uh, several stages ahead of me, and he would always tell me that whatever stage they were in as they grew and developed was his favorite stage. <laughs> here I go. <laughs> but here was, here, here's what was so cool about that, is I'd listen to him say that, and you know, a lot of times we would have the younger kids at the earlier stage that were harder at times. I'm thinking, really? Is that how that works? And it's true. And I can stand up here and tell you that, for me, every stage with my boys has been my favorite stage. A few years ago, uh, when Graham was about 9 or 10 years old, we began doing what we call our young man talks. Um, And we would just slip away and go grab some time together. It could be a coffee shop. We would go camping, just different things. And we would engage with one another about things that were important in life. Maybe it was the topic of purity or just how Scripture applies to our life. And we just called them our young man talks. And it came to a place where even in those things, Graham would come to me 
And he would say, hey, Dad, can we have one of those young man talks? And I said, absolutely, let's go do that. And so in that conversation, we began to talk about what it means to make your faith your own. And it was my goal to help Graham come to a place where his convictions were not based on what his dad told him or what Bruce told him or what he heard from someone else, but what he believed in his heart to be true. And so we began to walk through these things with that goal and intent in mind. And what's so encouraging to me as a parent, as I'm standing up here now in that role um, before you, is to see how Bruce in the student ministry walks alongside my son to accomplish the very same thing. It is a true partnership with a common goal in mind to help this young man make his faith his own. And I've seen that happen and how it has been accelerated through the influence of Bruce in the, in the student ministry. And one of the things, let me give you an example, that happened this past spring when uh, Bruce challenged uh, Graham and some of his friends to be responsible to lead uh, the Bible study. I think you did that, didn't you, Ben? And so they had to take that responsibility on and to prepare, prepare to teach their peers uh, that, that study for that week. And it was a tremendous thing for us as a family because what it did is that it brought that conversation into our home. And as Graham was preparing, he talked about verses that he was looking at and things he was learning and things that he had hoped to teach and what that might look like as he communicated it. And Terry and I and Graham had great conversations in the living room as he was preparing to fulfill that responsibility. So I wanted him to to share a little bit about um, what that was like. And so uh, if you would, just kind of tell everybody what it was like for you, Graham, to to prepare that was different than just showing up to receive uh, that study. Um, yeah, so um, on a regular weekend when I have homework, I tend to do it late Sunday night, right before Monday, and I'm sure I can relate with a bunch of teenagers on that. But uh, this preparation wasn't wasn't right before. It, I had to go all throughout week marking out my notes page on things I wanted to emphasize and things I wanted to look at with my um, with my fellow peers. And so their topic was idols. And so he was looking at some Old Testament passages and trying to understand the context there. And it was really neat to see him take that scripture and then see how it was relevant to his life. So maybe share a little bit about what you learned in the process of preparing to teach. Yeah, um, something, one of the biggest things that I learned is an idol isn't necessarily a marble statue or something that you bow down to. Um, one of the biggest ones that God pointed out is screens in general. In our society, um, it's really easy just to get lost in that with a click of the button for the TV or a shake of the mouse. And God really showed, um, showed me where my idols are in my life. So we had great conversations about that. It was neat to see him apply God's word, not just to teach, but then how it impacts him personally. And so he was able to share that and, and learn from that process. But then what was even, uh, even more encouraging was to see how that carried over into his life among his peers in school. And, and we've talked about before that our family decision was for Graham to be a light in a really dark world um, in, in the public school system. And we know that uh, it's a hard place. But he has a story to tell. And uh, he had an opportunity... <clears throat> recently to tell that story and it really flowed out of the presence of God's word on his mind as he prepared to teach and then how that then carried over into conversations uh, at school. So tell them a little bit about that conversation. Okay, so in my preparation I really had to get into the word and getting into the Bible resulted in me using it in my uh, my life. 
uh, a recent occasion happened in science class. These two boys that were sitting next to me were talking about uh, religion and faith, and I knew that this was an opportunity that God has uh, placed in my life, and so I used it. I said, Nathan was his name, I said, Nathan, what's your faith? And he said, you know, I mean, I think I'm Catholic, but I'm not really sure. I mean, my dad says that I believe in the Virgin Mary, but I'm not really sure, and I think I'm Christian. So I asked him, I said, so do you know what it means to be a Christian? He looked pretty puzzled, so I told him. I told him what it means to be a Christian. He looked really, really uh, interested in this. And so uh, I, I told him more, and I really uh, emphasized on uh, eternity being a really long time. And the choice to spin it between heaven or in, or in hell is a, is a really big decision. And he looked very interested, and he said he wanted to learn more. So one of the things that was neat about that, you heard Bruce do it this morning. Graham says Bruce always challenges with us with something. And so he ended this conversation with the challenge uh, to this young man that he was talking to. Tell him about that challenge. Yeah, um, Bruce is constantly challenging us as a, as a youth. And, like, there are some pretty hard challenges. But something that I challenge Nathan is to make his faith his own and not just his dad's. So it's just so neat to see how this comes first full circle. It begins in our home. Terry and I have that primary responsibility to invest in the lives of our boys, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and to talk about Scripture and to be intentional and diligent, as, as Bruce has indicated this morning. But to provide even a greater sense of power in that is to see what Bruce is doing in the student ministry, coming alongside these kids and then challenging them and encouraging them to a common goal that we share as parents. And then to then see that carry over into uh, the school where they're among those who don't know Christ. And it's a dark world, and they are lights in that darkness. And they share the truth of God's word that they hear in their home that's reinforced in ministry here at church that they then take in to the school system where a lot of kids simply don't uh, have those truths uh, taught to them. So... Such a privilege to partner with you, Bruce, and to be a part of this together. So, thanks. Thank you, Bruce. Well, I want to start by making a confession. When uh, Bruce asked us to speak uh, about parenting, we both had to pause. Um, you see, the only parents who can claim success in parenting are those whose children are grown and are walking in the Lord in their own faith. We don't feel like we can stand before you and say, look at us. My dad has always said, the only people who have all the answers about parenting are the ones that don't have any kids. <laughs> Our kids are not all grown. We are definitely in the middle of the parenting process. We have four. Jocelyn, our oldest, is a senior at Tech. Our son, Jaden, is a senior at Friendship. Julia, our daughter, is a sophomore at Lubbock High, and Gentry is a uh, fourth grader at Southcrest. There are things we as parents can do in raising our children in the fear of the Lord. There are guidelines we can set and goals we can lay out. But godly young men and women are godly because Christ has redeemed them, not because 
their parents are redeemed. You see, we can do everything in our power to raise godly kids. We can take them to church. We can pray with them as a family. Read the Bible together. Talk about sin and its consequences. And point them to Christ. Yet each person is called personally by God. No one gets to heaven on their parents' faith. People are in heaven based on the merit of Jesus Christ not on the merit of their parents. Frankly, I know parents whose children have broken their hearts and rebelled and are living without any sign of God in their lives. I know parents who have been quite horrid by God's standards and their children are committed to Christ and are following him with a zeal I admire. So what Doug and I have learned is parenting, like life, is really about grace. By God's grace, Doug and I heard the gospel and we responded. And it will be by God's grace that our children will respond. Because we have made mistakes and our kids have made mistakes. And we have failed and our kids have failed. Yet grace shines the very brightest against the backdrop of failure. I wish I could tell you as a type A person that I could give you a list of things that Doug and I have done or are going to do. And that will ensure that you have children who love the Lord and will follow him. But there is no such list. There are some practical ideas, and we have some, but really parenting is all about grace. The command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Years ago, Doug and I heard some teaching about this, and the emphasis was on verse 6. You have to impress it upon your own heart. If it's not real to you, it will never be real to them. That you can't really parent by saying, do what I say, not what I do. That you have to live it out. And so that's what we've done. We have studied the Bible together. We have attended Bible teaching churches where God's word is um, taught verse by verse. We expect our children to be with us on Sunday morning, even if they don't always want to be with us on Sunday morning. We make church a thing that our family does. We pray as a couple in the morning before our kids arise, and anybody who knows me knows that as a true testimony to God's grace, because I don't like the morning. I don't even really like Doug in the morning, but I can pray with him, and we can pray about our children, and years ago, we were in a class that taught incredible parenting principles, and one of the principles that we left with is that our kids will only be as healthy as our marriage is. And that the foundation of our home has to be that Doug and I were a family before we had children. And we will be a family when our children are gone. And so what they need to recognize is that we really do love each other as much or more than we love our children. And sometimes that's harder for me than for him because the kids are really needy. And they require that I drive them around. So I have a tendency to sometimes put the kids and their schedule before Doug. But the lesson for me is always to recognize that mine and Doug's relationship is the most important relationship other than our relationship with Christ. And the goal in parenting is to work ourselves out of a job. There are some practical things, however, that we have incorporated. Hopefully it will be cheaper when we work ourselves out of a job. But um, (laughs) there's some things that we have incorporated over the years. One of them is morning devotions. I make the kids breakfast. It's nothing fancy, but I do make them breakfast. And while they eat, I read to them a devotional. 
It's a devotional that my parents give us each year, the siblings and me. Each year it's the same devotional, and I think it's my mom's heart that all three of her grown children are reading from the same devotional as she and my dad are every morning. It's quick. It's just one page. Doug has long gone to work. So it's just the kids and me, and sometimes I'm reading it as I'm walking around the kitchen and doing things, but I read that to them. And then family meals are a very big deal in our family. Eating is a big deal to me, and so I want it to be a big deal to everyone else. And I want our kids to plan their schedule around our meals. So we may eat at 5.30, or we may eat at 8.30, but the goal is that we would eat as a family together. And so there are times that that looks different because our kids have been in sports and our kids have worked, and it doesn't always have the same makeup of the same people around our table. But my goal is to have our family and whatever friends our kids have eat with us. And so I love that on many um, nights we don't know who's going to eat with us. We may set the table for one more friend or for four more friends. Sometimes with Jayton's friends that's costly because his friends are big. And so, but we always try for my motto to be, there's always room for one more. And then family time. Years ago, when Doug traveled and was gone many nights, I started family time. And it was my way of saying, we are done with this day and I am done with you. We're going to have a family time and I'm going to put you in your bed and then you're not going to call for one more drink of water and you're not going to get up one more time. So this is family time. And I would read to them and over the years it's kind of evolved and I've read classics to our kids. I've read different excerpts from my BSF notes. Doug has read things to us. We have read articles from the newspaper. Sometimes we just meet together and Doug prays for us. And it always includes whoever's with us because now that has evolved used to family time was so that we put the kids to bed. Now Doug goes to bed and the kids and I (laughs) do our thing. But when Doug decides the day is over, it's family time. And whoever is there, we have an end of the day. We're done with this day, family time. We've also sent our older kids to Summit Ministry which trains our children to have a biblical worldview. We strongly believe in Summit. We believe in ministries that teach our children to think biblically because the culture does not. We've hosted Bible studies and been sponsors on youth trips. We've tried to make our home so comfortable that our kids want to be there and so do their friends. I've prayed with our other moms for 15 years now in a Moms in Touch group for their schools. And at times I've prayed four different groups because our kids have been in four different Um, schools, but I pray because not only does prayer move mountains, prayer moves moms, and that's what I believe in. Ultimately, we've tried to live out our faith before our children. We are not perfect parents, and we would all agree we don't have perfect kids. However, we sin and fall short and disappoint people, and our kids sin and fall short and disappoint people, and yet we are all on a journey. This earth is not our home. So our prayer as parents is that while we're on this journey, we impact as many people as possible. And the people we want to impact the most, the most important people to us, are our children. So we pray that our faith becomes our children's faith, but that's really a God thing. We can do the boundaries, we can set perimeters, we can pray, but it is really a God thing. We pray our kids can articulate, just as Graham did, why they believe what they believe about Christ that they can articulate their faith and their schools into a world that desperately needs to hear the truth about Christ. And as Doug mentioned, the ages of our kids were at the halfway point, which makes me want to cry when you realize, wow, that was quick. So two out of our four 
will be living outside our home. And just recently, I went into our middle daughter's room just crying. Jayden is about to leave. And she said, I'm still here. (laughs) So our goal is that we can say to our children as they leave, you are loved and you are ready. All right, just uh, final words before we call the seniors up. So seniors and their prayer partners, if you could kind of be making your way forward. Um, as you leave the sanctuary today, um, we'd like to give each of you a marble, just one marble. And um, I'll have uh, Meredith out there handing them out. And if someone could maybe help Meredith, that'd be great too. But it's a reminder to you and to us as a church body that we're, we're losing our marbles, right? <laughs> And um, what's also a challenge, it's a challenge to say, what are you going to do? Here's one. <laughs> I just stepped on it. It's a challenge to say, what are you going to do with this week? How are you going to be intentional this week? And that's whether you're a parent or just a member of this body and your kids are grown and gone. What are you going to do this week to be intentional to raise the next generation of, of Christ followers? So, just a challenge. Um, seniors, can you come forward? And uh, maybe as you come forward, I'll pray. Senior and prayer partners, I'll just pray to wrap this up. God, just grateful for your word. Help us to be diligent to applying this word in our homes, in our lives, personally, but also just as we teach these commands to our children and to that next generation. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.